back for another episode. We are currently recording apart because of a big Rona. She back. Dude. She's still here. She's still around, unfortunately. We can't get rid of her. But vaccination should be rolling in pretty soon, I hope. And we are just staying hopeful for that. And in the meantime, we just decided to stay extra safe and do our part. And thanks to the wonderful magicians at Zoom, we're bringing you another episode, baby. You're welcome. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, our personal uh, little tech staff helping us do all the bits. Yes. Doing the yeah. good for us. You, you know that we need our own. You know that we need personals. That's that's how bad we are. Zoom helplines like, please stop calling. Guys, you've got this. We don't have answers for you. How did you get this number? <laughs> I mean, Ruby just had to direct me how to use Audacity to find the volume button for like five minutes. She was like, no, not that one. This is Not that one. This isn't our first recording. We've had like three preemptive starts. There, there's been a lot of takes, yeah. But that's okay. But we're, we're here now. We're getting in the swing of it. Yeah. That's all good. Also, sad news, guys. Um, Buffy does want to play the fiddle for us. Like, maybe she said she would last Okay, episode, it's not me. I'm not lying to the people. Um, it's just really bad. If anything, I'm doing you a favor because I don't want your ears to bleed. No. So... I'm you just, like, so casually brought it up last episode right in the last, like, minute. So I just want to implore that more and be like, little Buffy playing the fiddle. If I ever get married, I want you to, like, fiddle away. Oh, Absolutely. I will. I will. Oh, I'll Jude, find a good aisle. rock that I'll stand on top of. <laughs> a rock? Uh, yeah, like a in the wind, by the ocean, while you and James like walk on the beach. I'm assuming it'll be James. So Yeah, I guess we should assume. I mean, you are engaged, so. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so maybe soon. Maybe soon we will get a little uh, sound clip of Buffy's fiddle. We'd be so yes, lucky. it'll Maybe we'll leave a little treat at the end somewhere or something of one of these episodes. Randomly. It'll be an Easter egg. Just, and it'll be just a little surprise. Yeah. For the, for the real fans. Or maybe a Christmas special will just be two hours of you playing the fiddle. <laughs> just like Holy Night or something or whatever. It's mm-hmm. a silent night. With like Holy our night. first video clip attached to it. <laughs> just like you playing. Nothing else. No. Yeah. And I'll we'll just you'll you'll just be in the back with like a little tambourine or like one of those egg shakers. Yes. <laughs> I think I could do that. My parents are both musicians. Like my Oh, it's in your blood. Yeah, You're fine. But I feel like they're so disappointed because neither me or my sister play anything. <laughs> I mean there was that That's phase like... of the trombone, but Oh, everyone has a fa- I was the trumpet. Yeah. I dabbled in the clarinet, but I went to the trumpet. Uh... I only went to the trumpet because I wanted to press the buttons. Yes. Yes, and I just watched the other trumpet players pressing these buttons, and I was like, those look like so much fun. I really want to try. So I told them when I wanted to learn the trumpet just so I could feel what the buttons felt like. Yeah. Remember I had to clean my trombone in the bathtub and like, you have to flush it I out. can't believe you played the trombone. <laughs> I'm just picturing you with that huge freaking horn. Oh my god. <laughs> it's probably as big as you are. How did you even carry that like, thing? Great. Six as well, so it's probably still pretty small. Yeah, I just have to carry it around and clean it out, and you it's because oh all the God. spit gets lodged in it. Ew. I know, it's actually proper gross. But like, yeah, and I remember I just used to carry that thing around and think I was so cool, and turns out I'm really, really bad at the trombone, and I just remember being like, I have no clue what these notes are, because the notes are all on a scale, so I just was yeah, like, Yeah, you just have to like hit the thing. I don't know. I don't know what this is, but... Maybe I'll bring it back. The fiddle and the trombone. Oh, God. Oh, God. Do they go together? Probably not. 
Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of the fiddle, though, shout out to my amazing fiddle teacher for having the patience and the ear strength to teach me Twinkle Twinkle Little Star repetitively, so thanks. We love a patient human. <laughs> we do. We really do. I'm sure you're smashing a friend. I'm smashing something. Some eardrums, probably. But <laughs> it's what it is. But, Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I bet he loves it. But we can talk about someone that is smashing their career and their life. Because we have a new yes. artist of the month. Yes, welcome. Enter April's artist of the month, my uh, beautiful, wonderful, amazing, sweet baby angel friend, Amy Perry. I love her so much. She is an amazing, beautiful human with just so much, just amazing, creative love to give the world. She's a really amazing artist. She's a photographer. She does poetry and she has a sweet little business called High Noon Art where she sells paintings and photographs and just all that kind of stuff. She also does jewelry. She has commission work too. Yes, she does commission work. Ah, she's just so talented and she lives in White Rock in BC, which is a really beautiful little beach town. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of like um photography there and it's just very it's just very beautiful stuff. Just very just great work. She's wonderful and just like collecting the information I needed um to put together the little post for on social media. If you can go check out Amy if you want to see a friendly mm-hmm. face. And just like reading through everything that she sent us, my heart was so warm. And I just want to read, like, a little excerpt from something she wrote. Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful. Um, so basically, with her business, High Noon Art, and what she wants to provide is a warm and personal experiences with those who she interacts with. Feeling safe with me is something I really aim to focus on. Always to get to know my clients rather than treating my sales as just sales, because they aren't just that to me. My main goal is to create lasting connections and an experience experience that leaves you feeling empowered and pensive. I am so aware and appreciative of budgets, so I offer a range of payment plans. What an artist. Oh, she's just so... Just doing it because the love of it. Seriously. And she does, like, these amazing... She's actually working on a commission for me right now for my sweet new kitchen that I just moved into. And I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. She, She does really amazing work. And she's also just someone who has a really... She just has this gift of visualizing what you're looking for, if that makes sense. Like, she's such a great listener, and you tell her exactly what you're thinking, and she just has this great way of melding your idea with her art style just to create this gorgeous product, and I just can't recommend her highly enough. So please, please, please go check her out. She's on our Instagram. She has, obviously, her own Instagram page, too. What is mm-hmm. at her art Instagram page is underscore high dot noon dot art underscore and she also just started a Patreon under High Noon Art and you can get a little extra content there. Um, she also shares some more of her poetry on her Patreon, and it's just a really fun place to be. It's just a very inclusive, welcoming, just loving place to to hang out. So I we just highly recommend her. Um, all of her information, like Ruby just said, is on our Instagram, too, if you guys want to go peruse. Yes. So that is our Artist of the Month for April, Amy Perry. We love her. Big love and appreciation. On to this week's episode, um, crime. I know. It's feeling, like, so beautiful and spring and divine outside, and let's just, like, bring it all down in our little self-deprecating pit. 
of crime. Of criminal behavior. It's not sunny and beautiful outside. There's no tulips. We want death. You know what, though? Um, Mine's funny, so... Yeah, yours is a comedic crime. Yours is a little more heavy. Yours is a little more You're going to balance it out for us for sure, so thank you so much. <laughs> I just really wanted to do this. I was so excited when um, we decided to do crime because I was just like, I've been waiting for this one. Turn it up. <laughs> Hell yeah, generator. First time you look out. Definitely pick crime first. Yes, there was no interference nope. in that. Nope. <laughs> no cheating. Mate, I just say we crack right into it and Amazing. go for it. Let's go. As always, please lead the chat. Oh my god. Alright. Well, you know what? You this want. time, I'll gladly accept. Okay, okay, okay. But I request that through mine, to make it more eerie, I would enjoy a nice stringed instrument to accompany me. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> I'll play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star over your um, scary crime genre show. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, without further ado, I am doing... The Righteous Gemstones. This is such a funny show. I watched it a few months ago. I told Ruby to watch it. She watched it. We both love it. We love Danny McBride, as Ruby likes to call him, Danny McBabe. Is it Danny McBabe? Is that what you call him? Danny McBabe. He's just so, he's so hilarious. And the show just, for me, the, the best part of the show is just the array of really amazing characters. It's so fun. In the best way. Oh, God. There's so many different characters, and there's not really, like, any main, main characters. There's kind of, like, five or six main characters. And they're all just so well-developed. They're so funny. They have all their kind of own storylines that are all hilarious. They come together. It's just so funny. It's just so well-written. The cast is amazing. The storyline's fucking hilarious i just oh god if you're looking for a show to binge in like a day the righteous gemstones you'll die so funny um but it's also crime so it fits well yeah uh a little about the show for you exactly it's uh it was released in 2019 and it's a dark comedy that follows the wealthy gemstone family a family of tele-evangelists and major-scale pastors. When the family finds themselves the target of a blackmail plot, they must do whatever they can to protect their fortune and their reputation. You can imagine some of the extents they go to. Because they are televangelists, they preach a lot of God uh, on mass scales. I think if you follow religion, Christianity, I wouldn't maybe watch it. Yeah, it, it definitely pokes fun. Yeah. <laughs> at yeah. the church a little bit. It's like going to see the West End production, The Book of Mormon, thinking it's about mm. Mormons. Mm, highlighting them in a great way, where maybe, you know, you might leave very disappointed. Yeah, yeah, keep that in mind. That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> very good point. Um, some of the names that you might recognize from the cast, we have John Goodman as Dr. Eli Gemstone. He's the father of the family, kind of the patriarch, the head of the family. He Sully, right, in Monsters, Inc.? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he voices him. Nice. Yeah, great guy. Um, we have, obviously, Donnie, Danny McBride, who's also um, the... He's also the creator of the show. Nice. Um, and he plays Jesse Gemstone, the eldest son. We have Adam Devine, the youngest son, who kind of plays, like, this youth pastor, <laughs> wannabe hipster, thinks he's, like, really, like, in with the with the youth, yeah. but he's, like, like he's got a mini not... Yeah, he wears, like, this, like, wooden cross thing. He's, like, very, like, oh, like, let's go to, like, let's all, let's do a prayer circle. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, into the teens. 
Yeah, yeah, he's the the youth, mm -hmm. the youth pastor. Um, and then we have Eddie Peterson as Judy Gemstone. She is just the typical middle child. She's also the only girl in the family, and I think that you, she, she just really wants um, some appreciation, and she just really wants to be noticed by the dad. She's fucked. She's just messed she's up. She does whatever she can to just, she's anytime she's like, insane. I'll do it, dad. <laughs> like, she's wild. She's wild. And I'd actually never really heard of Eddie Peterson before this, but she just did such a good job in this role. She was hilarious. She's insane. I love her. She's just so funny. They are all horrific human beings, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Judy, I think, stands out as one of the worst in them. But like, yeah, she's definitely, I feel like she's, like, more of the, like, um, so they, I don't want to give away too much, but they do some things, and she's kind of the one that's like, okay, here's how we're going to clean this up and make sure no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we find out all this stuff that she's been doing this whole time that the family didn't know about. She's very, like, she's the thinker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's very crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm not actually going to really talk about any of those characters for makeup, because all of their makeup is quite just as you would think it would be, just very... Corrective and minimal. Exactly. Uh, with the exception of Danny McBride's character, who has these beautiful mutton chops... Oh, yeah. ...that make him, like, a very, like, Conway Twitty kind of, like, country man. <laughs> it just... It's so funny. Um, I'm actually going to talk about Uncle Baby Billy. Yes! The, fa so <laughs> the family's estranged uncle who kind of feels like... He deserves part of their fortune, and he's just always trying to get in with them. He's just this crazy man. He's... Like, basically, oh, he'd set up tents in the middle of nowhere and, like, get people to come, like, pray with him. He'd be, like, screaming <laughs> and, like, say that, like, God spoke to him. And basically, like, a big scam. And then his yeah. girlfriend would be like, buy this like, coloring in Book of Jesus for, like, $50 that they got from the dollar store. And you're going to heaven! Yeah, yeah, and it's like, you bad this, you're going to heaven. Oh, big time. And I think it's important to the storyline to mention, um, Baby Billy, he, he is the younger brother of Eli Gemstone's uh, late wife. Yes. So he feels like he deserves an end to the family because, um, because of that connection. Yeah. But he's wild. Yeah, they... And we're going to get into all it. All I think, keep thinking about with, um, Baby Billy... And his the sister, so like Eli's wife, as you just said, mm -hmm. is when they were tiny. They were like these little country like pop stars for a time period. Yes, they were like Christian pop stars. Yeah, and when they were like below the age of ten, and there's this like tap routine and this little country song they <laughs> sing, and I can only remember like a couple of lines, but it's basically like running through the house with a pickle in my mouth, misbehaving, behaving. <laughs> it's all about. Misbehaving, and then I found God. It's <laughs> but it's just the line running. No through. more misbehaving. <laughs> but the line I oh, love so, funny. so much is running through the house with a pickle in my mouth. <laughs> like wow, you're, you're funny. You're insane. I got caught shaving. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. It's the type of song too that once you like hear it, it's in your head for like a week. Like Daniel and I have a rule in the house now where we can't sing it because. Otherwise, it's just, like, the next, like, seven days of our life, we're just singing. It's a bop. <laughs> it's, it's just so good. And they do this, like, little tap yeah, dance to it. Yeah, it's like a tap it's so Oh, it's so funny. Yes. We should learn tap, also, oh, on that note. I would love to learn tap. To go with the fiddle. I think they go hand in hand. Exactly. They really do. Mm. So, the series department head 
for this show is Sandra S. Orsalak, and the makeup artist that I, so Baby Billy is played by Walton Goggins, and he actually had a separate makeup artist come in to do his makeup, who is Jake Garber. Nice. And then, of course, a fan favorite of ours, we have our dental prosthetic artist, Gary Archer. Yes. What's very, very interesting, I'm very excited. Big fan of Gary. Big talent. We love to see it. So funny that you brought him up in your episode. Maybe I'll bring (laughs) Mm. him up in my episode. Who knows? Who knows? He's just all over the place, that man. So, Walter Goggins, a little more about Baby Billy. Walter Goggins plays the slimy, old, frankly greedy uncle. And, first of all, his name's Baby Billy. So, like... By birth. Not by choice. By birth. Just, I think, I think it... I think it was a nickname given to him when he was, like, the child televangelist. Sorry, I just keep thinking of children televangelists. <laughs> the family was like, oh, and there's baby Billy. <laughs> like, little baby Billy. And then it just, like, stuck around, and he just hasn't shed that character because that's, like, his money-making character. He's, like, still living off the coattails of that yes. time period. Like, it would be someone who was really famous as a child in Disney during, like, the Disney program years or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and then just never really booking anything else, but, like, they just hold on to being Still trying to be that character, even though they're, like, 70-something years old. I know. Remember when I was in Mickey Mouse Clubhouse when I was five? Remember? Yeah. (laughs) I I can still do that. I nail that role every but time. But he's like 60. Literally, yeah. <laughs> so so on that note, first of all, just great name. Great name. Yeah. Baby Billy. And we love putting baby in front of things, like Baby Dick Smith. And we do love that. And I just love how in the show they call him Uncle Baby Billy because yeah. he's still their uncle. Yeah. <laughs> uncle Baby Billy. Yeah. And he's with this, like, his girlfriend is, like, super young. She's, like, I think her name's, like, Tammy or something. Yeah. And... and she makes the kids, I think she's, like, younger than all the kids, but she makes them call her Auntie Tammy. Yeah, and all of them, like, <laughs> like, Danny McBride's, like, I'm not calling you Auntie. And she's like, but I am your Auntie. Baby Billy, make them call me Auntie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that was super Southern. Like, Southern America. Super Southern. Like, mm-hmm. most Very. stereotypical Southern accent you can get. So, Walter, uh, Walton undergoes a pretty extensive aging makeup to create that kind of creepy old man aesthetic. He talks about creating the character alongside McBride, and they were really adamant about not using prosthetics. They, I, do, I don't think it was for the budget, because this is quite an extent, it's an HBO show, so it has a pretty decent budget. Yeah. I'm assuming it was more of a timing thing, and also probably just a comfort thing for, for Goggins. Mm-hmm. And they also wanted to save time during application. They didn't want this character to take a long time. They wanted him to be, like, in and out of the makeup chair. Um, and, and Goggins does say that that's, like, kind of his thing. He just doesn't like spending a lot of time in the makeup chair. Yeah. So uh, after doing a lot of research, after kind of going back and forth on ideas of who this character is, what he should look like, they decided to hire Jake Garber, who you may recognize him from Star Trek First Content, First Contact, Hellboy, The Walking Dead, just to name a few. Huge name. Pretty, pretty big guy. So he comes in to do the character. And they were able to get the makeup down to 45 minutes, actually, which is pretty amazing, and with no prosthetics. So given that there's no prosthetics, I couldn't find exactly what they did, but I'm assuming that it was probably something along the lines of a stretch and stipple. Mm -hmm. We love a stretch and stipple. And a lot of paint work. Yes. Many, many layers. Um, If you do end up watching this show, you'll see that he has... 
a lot of discoloration. He's very tanned. He's very... It's, like, almost that kind of, like, leathery, sun-damaged skin yeah. that that you see on some people. That's kind of what they went for with him. So, yeah, I'm assuming it was just many layers of paint and spatter, that kind of thing. Um, so, at the end of it, Goggins describes actually closing his eyes, opening them 45 minutes later, looking in the mirror, and saying, Who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's a good makeup artist. That's exactly what he was going for. He was like, it was great. It was great. It was exactly what they needed. They put that, um, they actually, it was, um, he wears this kind of crazy white wig. It's just, and, it's all like and he described, it's, it's very quaffed. It's very like, it's also like this like stark white, almost like silky oh, white hair. Is quiff the wrong? Yes, that's a different thing hey, entirely. No, I swear in the UK it's just like a quiff. <laughs> and the quiff means two things. But you guys call it quaff? I think it's quaff here. Oh, no. I don't know now. Like now you're making me... Saying, no, I think you're... No, obviously, you know Canada better than me. But, like... <laughs> well, that... I don't... I, Canada's not a language. I don't know the English language better than well, you. Know, you know, love the If anything, you should know the English language better than me because you're from England. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so, like, yeah, quiff also means just, like, a quaff, by the way. I didn't just be like, oh, and he's got a quiff. Like, I didn't just throw that <laughs> sentence in there. <laughs> This is like the whole. I was like, just gonna glaze over it. I wasn't gonna mention it, but I'm glad that we elaborated. This is like I'm glad. saying like twat in the UK is like just you know you can call someone a twat and it just means oh you idiot. But like here, no, that's not a used word ever. That's actually highly inappropriate. Very unprofessional. Turns out I learned that the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Like I learned asking for a rubber is extremely inappropriate. Oh, that's yeah. It's a what is a? Can I have an eraser? Oh, right. Oh, an eraser. An eraser. Oh, God, see, I still can't get it right. <laughs> I'm just going to still ask for rubbers. That's fine. I'll know what you mean now. I'll stop giving you condoms. Back to the quiff. Back to the quiff. <laughs> um, and he describes the wig as being so unbelievable that it becomes believable. It's just so outlandish, but so is his character, and that it just really works. And I also just wanted to give credit, uh, because he gives credit to Sarah trust who was the costume designer nice he said that as soon as after he was in makeup and hair and he got into that costume he has this like very signature kind of outdated suit kind of thing he wears uh he just said i was totally baby billy yeah like it was a full it was a full person it was it was like no longer just this character on paper so i just wanted to give props to to the hair makeup and wardrobe team for really helping to bring uncle baby billy to life yes and <laughs> Sorry, Fran, carry on. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to basically ask more about Gary Archer, because, like, Baby Billy's teeth are such a staple. But... Yes. Mm-hmm. They really are. I, I couldn't find much about talking about his his teeth particularly, although I do know that Gary Archer was the one to work on them and was the one to do them, and they really do add a lot to the character. Mm-hmm. And it's something kind of subtle that you don't really think about when you're watching them, but they're just nasty. So. But they're just, like, so... Like, they're dent- they're obviously fake. They're, like, veneer. They're not, like, bad teeth. No, no, no. No. They're they're meant to look very, um, like, chiclets, almost. Like, they're very, like, straight and bright. Yes. So <laughs> like, white. Lodge. So white. And I think that that really also adds to the sliminess of the character, that he's got this, like, perfect smile. Yeah. That you're almost like, what are you hiding? He's fake man. Like, and just, be, he's, he's a, very fake. Like, when he speaks, it's just, like, old teeth, and it's like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. Literally, literally. Nice. And when you first, like, see Big Billy, he's, like, in a bathtub outside. Oh, my God. Yeah, so basically when the character's introduced, you see his girlfriend, and he's a milk drinker. He loves his milk. So he's a serial killer, She's, basically. Uh, pretty much. She brings him a glass of milk, and she... The camera kind of only sees the back of his head, and he's in this bathtub outside he's, in a field. All you see is this big old quiff. <laughs> <laughs> Take that how you will. Yeah. And he just stands up in this bathtub. He's naked. He takes his glass of milk. The camera comes around. Reveal Uncle Baby Billy in all of his glory. What? I think they they just did a really great job with the character. And what's like so much more ironic is that his girlfriend has the most horrendous teeth ever. I think, and 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 part of the the funny storyline, another like funny storyline with this is that Baby Billy wants to get more money so that, and he promises his girlfriend he'll get her some new teeth. Goals. Yeah. So, um, you can tell that this man, like, appearances really matter to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just such a well-developed character. And I, I just really want to give credit to, to Jake Garber, because considering that he didn't, they opted out of prosthetics, he got the makeup down in 45 minutes, it's, it's really amazing what they were able to do. And it just, it really adds to the comedy. Yeah. And I actually found a really interesting art article of uh, Danny McBride talking about, because there is a lot of wigs in the show, there's a lot of hair work, um, and he talks about how sometimes with comedies, it's hard because he said, like, watching back takes, there'll be some takes where, you know, the wig just looks really great and the makeup looks really spot on and it adds to that kind of comedy and the, the hair is just doing something funny and it adds to this, like, comedy, but at the same time, you want to remember that it's meant to be a dark comedy so you, you do really want to be mindful of the performances so he was like it was tough to choose sometimes which take you want to put in because you're like this one where the performance is so amazing or this one where the appearance is is really lending itself to the character and the comedy and what they're saying so just great job yeah on uh, from on all fronts yeah and so interesting to bring up that perspective that like i would never think of but as a director you me neither you have to be aware of Yes, makeup suits, but this is an emotional scene, etc. It really the the whole series like really takes you on a ride. It really does. They've got they've got so many great moments. There's oh god, I just can't even talk about it enough. I might rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, I might too I might. actually. Running through the <laughs> running through the house with a pickle in my mouth. Hey, me, me. Hey, hey fam. Oh, that's just so much better. Than that. I'm like, I kind of want to play it. <laughs> I need to play it so then we can do it justice. <laughs> okay, one second. <laughs> Gemstones. I just can't recommend it enough. Go watch it right Thank now. Thank you so much for doing that one. I loved it. Ah, so good. Oh, and also, I just want to touch on too, real quick, there's a lot of 80s throwbacks in the show, yes. so you get some great 80s costumes, some great 80s hair. Perm galore. Oh, perm galore. The big bubble glasses. They've got some great... 
There's so much, so much good stuff. Yeah. Take it away, friend. Let's, uh, well, we're on a high right now. Drag me down to the depths of despair. Well, I can do that straight away by having this short intermission by saying that Prince Philip's dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. He died, like, it did. a day or two ago. Yeah, I mean, at this point, a swift breeze could have got him, but maybe that's <laughs> what did get him. Have you seen photos of him recently? He looks like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, pretty much identical. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, obviously, and as a British person, maybe I should care more about the royals, but, like, divine blood my fucking ass. Like, this isn't 1573 anymore. No, seriously. At this point, you guys are just, like, glorified celebrities. Yeah. But, like, being married to someone for 73 years, like, that's a very big commitment. But, again... That is impressive. Um, like, they probably couldn't get divorced. So... Oh, I'm I'm sure that they, uh, that was a, that was a no-no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean... I'm on Team Diana, oh, so... Oh, wait, you know what, I've seen so many funny TikToks of, like, Prince Philip, people pretending to be Prince Philip and dying and then being in heaven, and then he's like, oh, wow. And then he's like, oh, hi, Diana. And she's like, hi. And he's like, oh, no! <laughs> but you have Diana to answer to now. Like, I've been yes. waiting for this. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah... He lived a very long life. He was 99, so... Which is quite impressive. I mean, there are theories that maybe he was stuffed, and he died, like, in the 80s, oh. but... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like it's just like an animatronic. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, that was really dark. Oh, that's so funny. Yes. Well, you might not be wrong, though. Well, rest in peace, Philip, and, um, yeah, that's, that's the first and last time I'll ever talk about the Royals, I guess. <laughs> Daniel sent me a meme. I mean, there's just been a lot of memes. I'm sure if you're on the internet, you see all I'm sure of Prince Philip memes. I'm sure you've been on the internet ever. <laughs> Daniel sent me one the other day, and it was like a picture of the queen, and she's, you know, she's getting up there too. She's in her 90s somewhere. Yeah. And it was like, ah, damn, shoddy finally single. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I saw this really funny one where someone had like edited the queen's like photoshopped the queen's head onto like this woman taking a selfie. In, like, a bathroom mirror, but, like, the dress is super low and, like, very, like, voluptuous, like, beautiful big breasts. And, like, just, like, very, you know, let me get the photo to show you. Like, the the sex appeal is strong, but it's, like, the queen's head. And it's, like, a thirst trap. Um, and then under it, it's, like, holding an iPhone in the mirror. And then under it, it's, like, single and ready to mingle. Oh, my God. It's like a cougar. She looks like a cougar in the picture. Yeah, I'll put it on Instagram as, like, the last slide for this episode. Oh, you should. That's a good one. Single and ready to mingle. <laughs> Anyone that doesn't listen to the episode and they're just looking through the photos. And they're like, Jesus. They're going to be like, oh, what is Queen. this one? Liz. Lizzie, what are you doing, girl? Ah, okay. So, sorry. I just had to bring up that. I, we we really did. Especially, I mean, it's like you're, you're you have to, I'm being British. I, I guess. I understand. Yeah. So, this week for crime, I am doing the film Oh, uh, it's such a good movie. I've been waiting to do this one for a while. Um, so, basically, just so if you haven't seen it, you should have, but if you haven't, it's what it's about. A serial killer bege- begins murdering people according to the seven deadly sins. Two detectives, one new to the city, and the other about to retire are tasked with catching the criminal. Yeah, it's a David, David Fincher movie, the man responsible for Fight Club, Gone Girl, The Case of Benjamin Button... Um, and Seven came out in 1995 and had a budget of $33 million. So, you know, it was decent. This was a huge film. This was pretty massive. Wow. Yeah. And obviously he's worked with um, Brad Pitt a lot. Like Fight Club, Case Benjamin Button. There's a, it's like De Niro and Scorsese, the partnership. Yeah. 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 Um, so the film 
um, had a great cast list and an equally as great makeup team. So here are the people who helped make these gortastic deaths come to life. We have Jean Anne Black, who I've talked about in our Fury mm-hmm. and Batman and Robin episode in season one. Mm-hmm. She's been a longtime collaborator with Fincher and has been Brad Pitt's personal for decades. We also have on the MUA team Gary Archer, Monty Westmore, Michael Hancock, um, the makeup artist for um, Mr. Freeman, Margaret Prentice, mm-hmm. Greg Solomon, Michael White, Becky Akoa, and the very, very famous, incredible Rob Bottin. Oh, God. Yeah. He, so Have we talked about him? We should, too, at one, one episode. He is also a very big name. Hun, I'm about to get into it. Um, he knows his shit. Yeah, and also, Gary Archer. He back! <laughs> we just can't get rid of that man, and we don't want to. Nope. Real quick, I just want to say, how interesting is it that, I mean, we, obviously we both pick crime movies, because that is the genre, but we also picked kind of religion-centered crime movies. Yes, I didn't even think about that. I just, because your movie, The Seven Deadly Sins, my movie, Televangelists. Biblical. Biblical. Have you? This is coming out on Sunday. <gasps> the Holy Day. Praise Jeebus. Um, <laughs> the Great One. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, that's Wingresky. My bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Same person, I think. <laughs> um, so let me talk about Rob Bottin for a second here. So, Rob Bottin, for those who may have never heard this hero's name, is the person responsible for this some hero. of the... hero. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What? What do you say? This hero's name. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Is the person responsible for some of the most iconic uh, makeup effects looks to date? An inventor very much like our friend Dick Smith, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rob has created some classic looks that I think people who aren't in the career of makeup and film would still recognize. Here are some of the films I plucked from Bot. Bottom's long credit list. Robocop, Total Recall, Amazing. The Thing, Interstate. The Thing is a big one. The Thing mm-hmm. is like, well, that is The Thing. I'm like <laughs> doing crazy arm movements. Yeah, you can't see, but she is. She is. Um, Inner Space, 2000's Charlie's Angels, what is... Wow, what is the one with Cameron Diaz. Fucking jam Drew Draymar. Yeah. And... Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu, thank you. I was yep. like, Lucy... And Sam Rockwell. Ugh. I, that, I love that movie. I love like, that movie. comes in and he's moving his little feet and he's like, da-da-da-da. You know? You know that scene? I do. I do. Yeah. And and the scene where she's... Drew Barrymore's on the plane at the beginning of the movie and she's in that crazy makeup and then she, like, drops down into the boat and she, like, takes off her mask and, like, her hair's out and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Or, like, when Lucy Lou's driving through the um, takeout, like, drive-thru, and she, like, orders this long list, or it's Cameron Diaz or Lucy Lou, and they're, like, do this whole, like, three cherry pies, like, two Big Macs, ten fries, etc., etc., and then she's like, what do you guys want? They're like, ha, 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 and speed away in the convertible. <laughs> <laughs> they're so funny. It's so good. I love it so much. Um, <sighs> yeah, so, uh, Rob Bottin worked on that. Also, Fight Club. So the list is long, and it goes on and on and on of this mm-hmm. amazing man's career. Um, would love to take this man to dinner, if I'm honest. Like, he is responsible for the thing. Like, come on. 
What's which is that is like such an iconic film if you were getting into makeup and prosthetics and makeup effects. It's so important. Just watch it's, it. It was it, revolutionary. It's, seriously, I was just gonna say it's one of those movies that really what he was able to accomplish on that movie really changed the industry, especially the industry of animatronics. Yes. Totally reinvented totally reinvented the, the game. Yeah. And like just his pure imagination and yeah. like you said, like what he could build and make and create from his mind is just it's, Italian it's wild it's wild yeah he he is an artiste but also Rob Boutin has done a bit of a disappearing act for a while now so I hope he's well and I can't wait to see whatever the art he conjures up in the future yes I agree staying elsewhere for the time being um so as I mentioned before this film highlights seven murders in the theme of the seven deadly sins I'm going to be focusing on sloth because out of all the murders in the film, this is my favorite. A close, a close second is Gluttony with the spaghetti death. But mm-hmm. the sloth scene is just so memorable for me and for so many reasons. Obviously the makeup, but the set deck and music too. It's full of tension and the camera movements. Like as they enter mm-hmm. the apartment, you can only see their reactions. And then it slowly like pulls back It like as they're about to enter the room. To yeah. just like reveal this hella scarish just sight. so much suspense and i think that that's like I, I i like sometimes when i'm watching like scarier movies and they don't show you what the the cast sees right away yeah so you're getting the reaction so in your head you're like oh it's bad yeah. and then it's slow and but you want to see but you also don't want to see it's like the film is it like the mist or the fog where you for the longest time don't see what's in the fog and everyone's like trapped in that shop and they just know it's mm-hmm. bad outside, so you're just, like, building this, like, crazy... Yeah, you're like, piece. what is going on? Yeah. Kind of like... Uh, excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry. Like, sorry to talk about murder, and then they're like, no, bring it back! <laughs> Jesus, Jesus! Miss me, Haven! Oh, that's so funny. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Well, I forgot what... Not what I was saying, but basically, like, sloth, <laughs> sloth is awesome. Oh, I'm such a horrible podcast partner. Um, no, don't be. You're not at all. I'm silly. Um, so yeah, sloth is basically the sin defined as a failure to do things that one should do. Through the understanding of the sin in former times was that this laziness or lack of work was simply a symptom of a vice of indifference, particularly a boredom with God. Mm-hmm. Take that as you will, but apparently I sin every day if that what sloth is. <laughs> apparently um, that's my uh, that's my mo. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so obviously this character is known as like sloth, but also the actual character's name is Victor. The murderer labels him as sloth. Um, so if I refer to Victor, Victor sloth, same person. But the actor who played sloth um, is Michael Reed McKay. And the whole process of the serial killer picking these people and then carrying out these horrific murders in this theme of the sins is because the killer believes that these people are true representations of the sins, it's like themselves. Um, so McKay playing Sloth's sin was basically tortured because apparently the character was a drug dealing pedophile, so he got chained to a bed and starved. So it's like this whole battle of like, well, was the killer doing anything wrong? Ultimately, yeah, last like there. This is, but this one particularly is like, well, he was a fucking pedophile. So yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like like vigilant 
vigilantism, like, yeah. where you're, like, yes, or, like, like Dexter, where yes. it's, like, yes, obviously killing people is wrong, but Dexter was also killing bad people, so then it's, like, it, like, kind of, you kind of make you, like, question your morals, because you're, like, well, this person was a bad person, because he was a pedophile, but also, obviously, killing someone's also bad, so, like, what do you, how does brain... Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just the mm-hmm. brain part. I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, okay, seriously. this movie's fake anyway, so let's not do dive into the deep moral issues. Let's not get into the psychology of it. I'm not qualified. Let's move, let's move on to the makeup. Yeah. Um, so that's why they picked him, basically. The killer mm. picked uh, right. Sloth. So now that the backstory's kind of done, here's the digging I found on the makeup. Honestly, it was a little hard to piece together, but hopefully you have enough. Mm-hmm. So, to begin, McKay visited the Robotine Special Effects Studio, where they got to work. They cast his body, head, arms, and feet for molds to then obviously be sculpted and turned into prosthetics. Then, over several sessions, they planned out the steps for creating Victor's elaborate full-body makeup. So, from my research, I believe that they used gelatin to create this full-body look. Mm, interesting. It was 95, so, you know, it was silicone wasn't fully around yet and maybe foam was it like just too opaque when they were making skin and mm-hmm. obviously they had a huge budget i'm guessing but they also had lots of big makeup looks yeah so i don't know how the balancing of the budget goes but apparently they did it with gelatin from my research and um, i mean i can see in that situation gelatin because it's not like he's going to be moving it's not like he's going to be like sweating profusely like outside no so i can see them saying like you know what for this gelatin it's cheaper the conditions are in the favor of gelatin yeah um so mckay the actor when filming was already a very thin person with this accentuated bone structure that's why he was originally cast apparently um Mm -hmm. so the makeup team really highlighted those areas and used the natural contour of the body to play with and then eventually having these gelatin sores all over his body has started to become more believable so they created these big like wound sores and like just different uh maybe some cheek bones on there to really accentuate but because of the actor's stature it was quite for painting quite easy mm-hmm. um yeah um so they obviously painted in many many layers like if you've seen the sloth makeup it's it's quite extreme but it's also from 95 so it's could no, I still think it holds up. I do still think it holds up. It's not like... It's unpleasant to look at, but I think now if we were to do it, it would obviously look a lot different because we'd be using different materials. But it yeah. still was very frightening, and especially for 1995, it's a very extensive big makeup. Yeah. Um, and so they used a lot of deep blues and purples for extreme veining that were airbrushed in different sizes all over McKay, the actor's body. And then with these sores, they use different colors of age, some bright, others very much like into those deep scab colorations. And all these colors were popping because of how pale McKay's base was too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so like in the scene, that sloth is pretty much like a corpse. That's why they, we're talking about these bone structures and these protruding like shadows and highlights and then all these veins because he's basically been tied to a bed for a year and this um, murderer who's named John Doe has basically been like giving him drugs and just tying him and starving him basically so he's he's a corpse he's like pretty much dead 
and his hair is yeah. super thin. Like, it's not, like I said, not pleasant. And so, obviously, with this, like, corpse effect, there's lots of modeling involved and lots of paling out. And the paintwork was very heavy with this one. And like I said, just lots of layering. What's so common in makeup effects work. And mm-hmm. when I first started experimenting with makeup, like, ages ago, I was always wondering why mine didn't look like any of the pictures or what I saw in the movies. And it wasn't until I was in school that I was like, oh, skin, prosthetics. It's all made up of so many, many layers of different colors. Seriously. I think that's, like, that's, like, when you see, like, those videos of, like, Halloween makeup and they just put, like, those, like, generic foam pieces on and then they just put their, like, a foundation color right over top of it. Yeah. It never works. And it's because... Skin has so, we don't realize it, but skin has so many colors. There's poor textures, there's, like, freckles, there's vein tone, there's the blood tone. Like, it's, it's, like, that's why we've talked about it before. Like, doing, like, skin textured makeup is a lot of the times a lot more difficult than doing creature makeup. Because people know what skin looks like. People know how humans are supposed to look. So people are able to clock those kind of mistakes a lot easier. And it's just, seriously, we, like, we actually, there's an illustrator palette that a lot of the time we use, and it it has, like, a lot of different skin tones. It also has these blues and olives and yellow tones and, like, three different red tones. And that's because all of those tones are found in human skin at varying levels depending on your pigmentation depending on you know where you're painting and how much the sun how much sun that part of your body sees and there's just yeah absolutely it all really comes into factor and for those that don't maybe know the Ill- an illustrator palette is an alcohol-based palette so it's, yes yeah. it's activated with 99% alcohol mm-hmm. yeah and yeah like Buffy said we're made up of many colors and layers and that's something that mm-hmm. I figured out in school and is so clearly demonstrated in Rob um, Robertine's uh, sloth makeup because mm-hmm. it's like this corpsing effect of like mm-hmm. decay that's happened over a year. So it's really quite beautiful if you're looking at it just for paint. Yeah, if you're looking at it from like the artist standpoint of him being able to pick out those colors and place them in such a way that it just looks at, at one side of you so grotesque, but at the other side of you so just well executed. Yeah, exactly. And also, I did read that apparently Robertine um, actually, for reference images, used Holocaust concentration camps and the wow. people who were unfortunately um, enslaved in those. And to basically use this as inspiration when sculpting and making this makeup look. What is a whole other important story of heartbreak within itself? But yeah, that was apparently what he went to when trying to mimic what uh fincher needed for sloth wow yeah what i can't imagine is fun research to do no i was gonna say that that must have been kind of hard to comb through those kinds of pictures and also when you're sculpting and stuff like that and going off of reference photos you're staring at a reference photo for you know your whole day basically yeah and and that's so to look at that kind of stuff for such a long time it would have probably been pretty hard to know that that's a real photo of a real person who went through something very horrific and unjust like that's a whole other piece of history unfortunately that happened and yeah that's actually something that i found really uh that was brought about in great care 
when I was in school that our makeup teachers were talking about reference photos and the importance of reference photos, but also not exposing yourself to too much, knowing mm-hmm. what you can and can't take. Like, it's not, it's not fun to look at a dead body. And when you actually register, like, that is a human being. That was, that was a, a real person. alive person who yeah. lived and breathed the way I did. And I'm yeah. really happy that they gave us this, like, hey, before you type in this or before you go looking, it's okay Just to remember that. look at that. Yeah. Because there's great makeup looks now that mimics stuff yeah. like that. And I just think yeah. moving forward, if you're getting into makeup or you need to look at something, you've been in it for like 10 years, like just, yes, research is so important for looks, but also it's not good for your brain to see some of this stuff. So just be yeah. wary and know what you can take as a human being. Definitely. And approach it delicately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as... We talked about before, but Gary Archer was on the team too, who was a wizard with character dentures. And (laughs) what, like, a beautiful portfolio of dentures he must have now. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that man's portfolio? No. That man's resume. It is just crazy. He's done so many cool things, I just can't even believe it. (laughs) I just can't even believe it. Pickle in my mouth. Misbehaving. (laughs) Um, I'm going to start saying that. Pickle in my mouth. (laughs) Misbehaving. (laughs) Just all the time. (laughs) People might take it for something different, but, you know, quick walk, whatever. Pickle in my mouth. <laughs> well, put a pickle in my mouth and call me Miss Bag. And call me Uncle Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff a pickle in my mouth and call me Uncle Baby Billy. Because oh. I am flabbergasted. <laughs> you in any production meeting moving forward. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's awesome. Um, so, with the sloth teeth, um, they possibly, I think, when building these, I couldn't find any proof of this, but this is just my, you know, little naive teeth-making mm-hmm. take yeah. on it. Because, um, as we know, teeth really make a look. They really tie in a character. They really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually incredible. Like, classic, like, zombie film move is, like, where a zombie opens his mouth and it's just, like, beautiful white teeth. And it's like, excuse and you're me? Like, oh, okay, that still doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> or even, like, a historic accurate piece like they'll just have these beautiful white teeth and you're like really yeah mary antoinette mm-hmm. Kristen Kristen dunce i'm looking at you oh, i love yeah. that movie it's so stylized it's so beautiful but she's got perfect teeth in it and sometimes producers will do that because they think it's going to yeah. be too distracting but i also yeah. get depends on the movie but it really does and and with that one Specifically with Kristen Dunst and Marie Antoinette, we're going off track here a little bit. But that is, she is supposed, that is like a very, like, glamorized film. Yeah. And she's meant to look very beautiful. Everyone in her circle is meant to look very beautiful. So I can see that being a conscious choice to yes. to lend itself to the prettiness of the film. Yeah, it's like in Gladiator where one of the main, like, women in it, she's got those three dots in between her brows. And mm-hmm. that is basically in Gladiator's time that was representing that, like, women had monobrows and that was a, like, statue of power to have a monobrow. Mm-hmm. But the producers were like, monobrows are ugly. We don't want that. So they lightly painted in, like, these three delicate, like, decorative dots that actually, mm-hmm. like, tie in this, like, beautiful, angelic little look she's got going on. But is playing tribute to the historical facts of facial hair back then. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it depends on the film and stuff, but if you do want to see some good, like, historically accurate teeth, um, Taboo, Tom Hardy's uh, series, Mm, mm -hmm. they're dirty. Yeah. They're dirty AF. But basically, Gary Archer in Seven didn't hold back. So, (laughs) like we said, Sloth is pretty much a corpse, and I think that 
Gariatra probably made these teeth protrude, protrude a bit, giving the actor's face more slimness and deterioration, if that makes sense. Like, because mm-hmm. these teeth, they're all kind of what's left, right? So it makes sense for them to be looking a little larger than normal, because the face is wasting away, but we keep our teeth. Yeah. So they are very accentuated, because his lips and, like, mouth and cheekbones are so, like, gaunt. Yeah, I was just going to say, and, like, enlarging the teeth makes that fleshy part of your top lip and that kind of fleshiness around your cheeks kind of take a backseat. Yeah. And so it accentu- it almost makes you look more gaunt. It makes it kind of brings out those more skeletal features. Yes, and I think that was done mm-hmm. on purpose. And then obviously yeah. they're colored like yellows and browns and, you know, just they're dying. Yeah. Um so apparently the entire the entire process of applying the makeup and prosthetics to McKay's face and body took 14 hours. Oh my god. Yep. Are uh, you joking? No, cuz he's like nude in it, right? So it's like a it's a full body thing. Also, I think 14 hours is like really extreme, so I don't know if it was just Rob Patine or it was 1995. I don't know, but the makeup is very big. But yeah, it took 14 hours apparently. So on the day of the actual shoot, McKay woke up at 5 a.m. and reported the reported to the special effects studio where they applied this makeup throughout the day in anticipation for his 8 p.m. call time. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, so sorry. Yeah, I. I just can't even fathom. I cannot. I you know we work on set 14 hours. Yeah. But that's that's including, you know, two hours in the morning of processing or whatever it is. I just my brain just cannot even fathom processing for 14 hours, only to then have him ready to go to set. Yeah. No. No. Oh my god, that's one of the moments when if I heard someone else on the crew complaining about having to be at work, like, oh, it's a night shoot, I'd be like, listen, shut the fuck up, I've been up since 5 o'clock in the morning painting that man, okay? Literally. <laughs> and, like, I've done applications, like, maybe that have gone for five hours, and that, like, by the third hour, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I yeah. can't even imagine, like, tripling that. Seriously, I think my longest application I've ever done was four and a half, and it was almost a full body. Yeah. And that, that same thing, like, by, like, the third hour, I was like, okay, I'm getting really tired. I'm getting fumey. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, wow. That's insane. Ugh, and God, then, the endurance. Yeah. So, apparently, they shot him for four hours of filming, but then you've got all the removal, obviously. God. But for four hours of filming, McKay lay strapped to a table on set, which resembled a small room in a decrepit apartment with dozens of car air fresheners hung from the ceiling to disguise the smell of Victor slash Sloth's decaying body. Like, set deck is extremely memorable in this scene. Because that's the wow. first thing you see is just, like, all these car air fresheners, obviously trying to, like, cover the stench of corpse. Um, so yeah. praise set deck, like, Italian kiss. Again, times two. <laughs> and, um, yeah, basically McKay had to lay uh, very still until directed, like, to move. Um, so whilst McKay was on set, he was repeatedly being spritzed with water as well to, in order to maintain the sweat, sweatness and grossness of Victor's body. So there was still some of that, like, livelihood there, even though he looked very dry. But I think also it would be, like, for, you know, like, highlighting colors or pumping up stuff and mm-hmm. just adding mm-hmm. a little bit of, like, sheen here and there because it is such, like, a dark lit room that all these deeper colors would just, like, fall into the background. Yeah, you don't want them to get lost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because he was mostly naked, the spray lowered his body temperature a lot, so McKay started to shiver, and he obviously had to be extremely still, 
So they had to like set up a little heater. Um, <laughs> but obviously they couldn't like power it too high because it was gelatin. And gelatin melts oh, in Oh god, heat. so it would melt. Yeah. yeah. So there's like this like balancing act. Oh my god. Yeah, so I just feel like the act would be like, can we like have the heater? And then like Robertine like, yeah, I'll just turn it up. <laughs> like it doesn't turn yeah. it up. He's, like, faking it. He's like, yeah, it's on max. I don't know. This is as high as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, God. And this poor man, at this point, what, he'd already been awake for 19 hours. Yeah. And, and, he and like he's still got a removal. Still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. And are his eyes open? I can't remember if his eyes are open in that, this scene. No, not really. They're kind of, like, shut. Like, part. I remember them being closed, and from the clips I was rewatching when doing the research. Um, okay. It looks very much... Yeah, they are closed, and I think maybe they come open, but it's it's quite horrifying, this scene. It Jesus. really is. Oh, my God. Um, and also, I found this on a Reddit page um, that I never noticed, and maybe you won't be able to unsee it now, but in that clip, when we get the full body shot of him, um, so the character, one of his arms has been amputated, and at, and it's not like a highlighted point, but it's part of the makeup. And it's kind of sticking off the bed. Um, and you can notice it in one of the shots. You're like, oh, bam. And it's it's amputated around the elbow. And this is a pretty uh, realistic touch. Because during this, like, torture period, John Doe, the killer, um, has been, like, injecting him with drugs. Um, because he is a, you know, a drug dealer for, like, in his life. Um, so he basically kind of, like... is kind of keeping him alive but he's constantly in this state of being high um so the bed's also like covered in used needles and it's really like grim and dirty and it's really fucked up it's making me like shiver but this amputated arm i thought was a really nice touch from rob Boutine because if we've seen rec room for a dream we know that in or just general medical knowledge we know that injecting in the same place on your body can cause for infection and then your body's rejecting that certain limb so your yeah. arm and that like spoiler for requiem of a dream like is it very much shown in that movie um and i think that's what happened here maybe and that was just like a hidden little thing of like yeah this is what this character would look like if he was being injected for a year all the time like your body wow. would start to reject the limb um wow. what is really scary and another issue of you know addiction and yeah. How sad that is. Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. And it also, again, it just shows how much research and how much thought Rob Bottin put into this makeup. And yeah, it's, like, it's not even looked So at. thorough. So thorough. Like, that's the type of thing where it's, like, something that's so minor and that so few people will probably actually catch or yeah. actually realize why he did it. But he did it anyway because he knew that that's, realistically, that's what the body would do. Mm-hmm. And there is this scene that Reddit pointed out that you can slightly see McKay's arm, like real arm. So it's mm. not his arm painted. They had a fake prop arm. And oh, there's okay. this one shot where the actor has his arm right by his side. You will not notice it unless you look for it now. But then you there's like the prop arm that you see. And then it's like I saw this highlighted video of like where the arm was being hidden. And I was like, mm. don't do me like that. Don't play me dirty. But Don't play me dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it makes sense because realistically, this would have saved application time by having this fake oh, yeah. amputated arm. Also, you don't have to hide an actor who has an actual arm, and 
this would have given the artist more time to work on at the studio and create this great prosthetic arm prop that you can see and there's like scarring and stitches at the base of the amputation so really like this is a bit of detail but also would have helped them during the application period definitely yeah mm -hmm. so like i said this film is really horrifying and like i'm I, as i'm just like talking about it i just really hope you can watch it because for makeup it's great it's also a david fincher film the performances are wonderful they have the iconic line like what's in the box like when mm -hmm. you receive a parcel i do it all the time i'm like what's in the box <laughs> it's a it's a hard movie to watch it's because it fuck. is so it's so david fincher doesn't leave anything up to the imagination no like he lets you think about what it is and then he actually shows you and what you're actually looking at you're like wow yeah that is dark and what's scary is that you don't meet the killer in the film like that's the part like we were talking about what's hard to what like when you you don't know like is fear of the unknown and yeah. Fincher definitely plays into this throughout the movie as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a tactic that a lot of directors and producers use on lower budget projects of, you know, we really want this to be scary, but we can't necessarily afford to do this big makeup or have these big props or whatever it is, or create this big scene. So let's have the actors, you know, react to it really strongly yeah. and not show the audience. Yeah. And, and that kind of reaction will play into this fear of like well what is it we see that in john krasinski's film with emily blunt um what's it called the movie he did and they can't yeah i know you can't exactly. make sense quiet, quiet place quiet place, quiet place. Mm -hmm. yeah we don't see the aliens very much no and, and scary. but when and it's scary because it's this like tension of like they're very scared so obviously I'm this scared. monster is scary so i'm scared yeah so Fincher definitely is like, here's all the girls' facts, here's everything that's going on, and this film is more about, like, who could have done this, because the detectives yeah. like, can't catch him. Yeah, I think that's totally what he plays into, because this, it's obviously a human, but it's, it's like a monster in the way that, like, how can somebody do this to somebody else seven times over? Yeah. Um, like, how, how does one person think up this many, like, grotesque scenes to put somebody through? Yeah. And that's, that's what scares you, I think, is, like... The planet who would do this the mind yeah and also yeah. um before moving on uh a little fun fact is that um brad pitt in the scene picks up a collection of polaroids and is flipping through them and it is showing a year's worth of deterioration of victor sloth so this killer john doe has taken like 52 images weekly like sorry 52 images one a week um for the last year and then just laid them out next to like a bottom a, a bottle of urine and like a stool sample and Brad Pitt's like this killer is like laughing at us like he's just saying like look what I've been doing for a year and yeah you well like, you've been trying to catch me yeah I've been doing all this other and so shit. he has these 52 images and Robertine um made up McKay for each of these images like they took 52 photos of deterioration that would weakly happen yeah so apparently this crazy. was shot in his studio with a photographer one day, and they made a bunch of prosthetics, and then manipulated them and gradually brought them in with additional heavier layers of paint, and had them photographed in black and white on a Polaroid to represent this time period. So the images get more intense, obviously, but pretty cool to do a whole makeup process from start to end, because normally in film, we just see a certain time period of yeah, makeup. Like, yeah. after it's healed, or maybe we just see it like... a a cut and a week later or a few hours mm -hmm. and that is really important but documentation for the full process 
Life to Death Over a Year is pretty cool work with lots of intense research and preparation. And I just think, yeah, that's like insane to have like the weekly differences of those photos. So yeah, he did that too. Looks pretty cool. Pretty wow, awesome. That's so crazy. Pretty that's so crazy. Detailed. And then they photographed them in a way that would like make, you know, manipulate them to be like, oh yeah, week from week. Um, even if the yeah. just paint was slightly different. And yeah. um, you can see these Polaroid images in the scene, but I think they only end up showing like three to five. But just so you know, Robertine, that was 52 looks. He did 52. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so thorough. Yeah. And, um, okay, two little things to end with. Sorry, I know this has been a long one. But uh, when McKay was transported after makeup to the downtown Los Angeles shoot in the back of a van, he arrived and crew members actually hid him with sheets and put him on like a stretcher bed uh, because they didn't want to give anything away. And they took away the camouflage when they reached the set. And the reason they did this is because they like got him in his position and the actor starts, like the scene starts with him being a sheet over him anyway. They basically hid him from the actors who were in the scene too because if you can recall, and like I've been saying, he was like perfectly still as they come in and he looks dead like they're like he's he's dead like he's a freaking corpse like this is fucked and then there's a section where one of the SWAT team like policemen goes up to him and is like you got what you deserve like whispers it to him and then the actor starts like moving around and like making these horrific like sounds and they all jump and um that was actually like uh live like they didn't know that was gonna happen wow. they thought that this was just an actor who was dead like in the scene and yeah, they didn't what, know that the actor was, that, that wasn't scripted or anything to yeah, them. Yeah, and that David Fincher, like, basically planned that's all the reaction What was. a, that sneaky, sneaky man. Yeah, so one of their first takes is actually, like, one of them they use. What the reaction of them all, like, oh! Because, yeah, this guy was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, oh and he's obviously in this terrifying makeup. Um, well. And also, the whole film's aesthetic, it's like, literally this dismal gray rainy disgusting mm-hmm. place on earth it's like worse than gotham worse than london <laughs> it's very harrowing oh. oh yeah wow that's so crazy i just can't even believe how much work must have gone into that one scene let alone the seven other intense scenes mm-hmm. of finding bodies yeah and also Ugh. if you're gonna rewatch this film what i really want to now as well especially for the last seven minutes that i never realized but obviously the film's called Seven, The Seven Deadly Sins, but David Fincher buried a little tidbit in the movie exactly seven minutes before the movie's about to end, like as soon as it's like like seven minutes mm-hmm. to end. How else can I describe that? <laughs> At a particular moment, the film is reaching its climactic and like hor- horrific end, and there's this like single frame of an actor that appear I don't want to give away too much but it's like the single frame of an actor that appears on screen and it's like happens the very second that it hits seven minutes and then is back because it's about to like show a little homage to the brutal realization of what exactly is going on in the final minutes of the scene and wow. yeah it's like a little Fincher move uh yeah and that is seven crazy that's a crazy movie I haven't watched that movie in a long time I watched it like god forever ago I think I was like in grade seven and it like jarred me a little bit watching it then like I was like yeah it's (laughs) so good it's so well done um it's really freaky and it's really scary and 
yeah, I would recommend everyone watching it. Um, but it's not it's not fun. And there's loads of behind the scenes stuff on that film. I had to like yeah. not choose so much. Like Brad Pitt both broke his arm during it and like Wow. Yeah, like they had to play it into the character and yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Wow. So, wow, wow, wow. What a juicy episode. Bravo makeup team on both films. Yes. Such talent, so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Should we do a, what a great episode? tip and product? Yes. Nice. Let's. Now, I do have a product. Oh, that's great because I have a tip. Ah, amazing. So I actually wanted to talk about, um, it's, I shouldn't say it's a product. It's a product line. It's a oh. beauty company. I was watching Dragon's Dead the other night. It's like my show I put on sometimes when I don't like know what to watch. And there was this really amazing, it's the Canadian one, by the way, obviously. And um, there was this really, oh wait. Oh yeah, there's more than not Canadian Dragon's Den. I always uh, think that Canada me. invented things and then it's actually not Canadian at all. Oh and my then God. I'm disappointed. Dragon's Den has been in the UK for so long. It was like the I great know. Canadian bake-off. I was like, you mean I know, the great I know. British bake-off? I do this all the time and I'm really sorry to you and no. to the UK Apologies <laughs> for accepted. taking credit for so much. It's fine. <laughs> okay, well. Don't worry about screw. it. <laughs> um... But I wanted to talk about this company that came on that just seemed really interesting, and they just seemed really cool, and they're called Cheekbone Beauty. Mm. They're based in Ontario, here in Canada, in St. Catharines, and they are a Indigenous-owned and founded Canadian cosmetics company. They're also really reaching towards a sustainable beauty movement. A lot of their packaging is card, like, not cardboard, but, like, paper-based, so it's not plastics. They try and, like, limit plastics. Nice. Um... Yeah, and uh, so I should say, the founder of the company's name is Jennifer Harper. She founded Cheekbone Beauty in 2016. And to keep with her in Anish, Anishinaabe roots, uh, Cheekbone Beauty launched a less waste line of lipsticks in 2020 called Sustain with zero waste goals for 2023. And I just thought that was really cool. The company also aims to make a difference in Indigenous youth lives. So, um, yeah, they donate a percentage of sales to addressing the educational funding gap in Indigenous communities. Um, And they also just aim to create a beauty industry where Indigenous youth feel seen and they feel represented. And I just thought it was really awesome. And to date, they've donated uh, over $100,000 to various causes um, that support Indigenous youth across Canada. And I just thought that was really awesome. That, and I just wanted to talk about them and just give give them a shout out. That is fucking awesome. Yeah. They just checked so many boxes for me. I was like, sustainability, check. Representation, check. So, Canadian owned, badass women, check. That's awesome. I love that. That's a really, really good line to cover. Thank you. Yes. And so I'm putting an order through. I want to try it out, and we'll get back to you on how amazing it is, because I'm sure it is amazing. I'm going to be spending a lot of money on them very soon. Very soon. Very nice. Yeah. Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone Beauty. Go check them out. And my tip of the week that I'm just going to cover quickly is that I learned this from my boss, Sarah Elizabeth, and um, maybe this ties in with Baby Billy's makeup with Stretch and Sipple. Oh. With basically oh. manipulating skin to look like wrinkles with latex. Um, mm-hmm. So if you mix a little bit of crozade in with your latex, it's going to make it stronger and s- adhere to the skin better. 
So if you, oh. yeah, so if you need to fix something, latex can be kind of tricky because it can roll. It's kind of like yeah, you try to like it, get something off. It like mm-hmm. can start rolling and tearing. It looks really good for like an hour, but as the actor starts to sweat, mm-hmm. it deteriorates quite quickly. Yes, mm-hmm. and it can be quite problematic. But apparently, with a little bit of prosade in there, uh, no more peels and rolls for a interesting. Bit That's very interesting. I've also heard on that note that a product called Adagel. Oh, cool. Um, can be added to, I guess it does basically the same thing of, like, helping to thicken the latex and helping to hold it in place for a longer period of time. Apparently, Adagel can also give you more intense wrinkles, like if you're going for something a little more extreme, less mm. subtle. Yeah, and also, I know the Green Marble Sealer, like, the concentrate version can help as well. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there you go. There it is. What a great tip and product and two beautiful films centered around crime. Yes, and what a great artist of the month. Oh, Amy Perry. Amy Perry. At High Noon Art. Yes. Um, on that note, is it time to uh, to shut this baby down? Yeah, let's do- Oh, fuck, the generator. What are we doing next Oh, week? my God, Who we're do a we hot mess. Who do we think we are? It's, it's, it's okay, because I have it all ready for us. All right, Ooh, let's do yes. it. yes. Based on a book. Oh, okay. That could be fun. <gasps> That's exciting. That could be very fun. Okay. Based on a book, people. If you have any recommendations, please let us know. Yes, send them our way. We love it. We love to showcase your ideas and talk about them. We also love answering your questions. If you want to send them to us, you can reach us on Gmail <laughs> at blushandstuffpod at gmail.com. You can also message us on Instagram. Give us a follow. Give us a like at blushandstuffpod. And then you can find us on Twitter at blushandstuff underscore pod. Yes, you can. And those are all of our handles. We love to hear from you. And that's that. I think that's that. I think we're signing off. I think we're saying au revoir. I can't wait to be in your presence again. I know. I'm excited. Get out of here, COVID. You've overstayed your welcome. Yeah, you little fucker. Sayonara. Sayonara. Misbehaving. And R.I.P. Philip. Bye forever. <laughs> Bye.